This is message six in this series, The Power of Righteousness. And this is very foundational. Do you know so much of people's perception in churches is just so wrong about God? You know, this sermon that I'm gonna, that I'm gonna, you know, kind of flow in as the Holy Spirit gives me utterance here, we already sang it, didn't we? Wow. I mean, God, people, people in the world will think, you know, God is just out to judge me and all this other stuff. And, and it's like, no, no, actually, God sent his son and now there is nothing. He's not even accounting man's sins against him. He's saying the only thing between you where you are right now and a holy God is Jesus. And it's all been paid for. So you could just come to him just as you are. I love that about God. That's what he's been doing my whole life, right? I'm so glad he saved me. I don't know where I'd be. I think the top two on the list would either be six feet under the earth or, you know, in some bright colored jumpsuit with a number on the back of it. But no, I'm telling you, God is good. I mean, I think of my life. I mean, here's my mom, this young, rebellious teenager gets pregnant out of wedlock hates her parents literally graduates from high school goes to new york city doesn't tell her parents she leaves finds out she's pregnant tries to get rid of the baby right to the the kind of a, a doctor on the side would do abortions and first time she went and she she still knew she was pregnant afterwards which was weird so she went back to the doctor he's like like doctor's like what there's no way. Well, let's do it again. So we did this thing again. She's still pregnant. I'm a two-time abortion survivor. Right? Went back a third time. The doctor goes, get away from me. I've never seen this. Don't, I, just get away from me. Somebody must want him. So then I almost was born in a New York City jail because my mom got in trouble and she was in jail. Wouldn't call her parents. She's pregnant, and when she started feeling me in the womb, she just wanted me then, right? And, and the, the women in this jail would give her extra milk and stuff and, you know, to try to help her and, and all this stuff. And uh, here's her parents in Chicago. They don't even know where she's at, right? And uh, anyway, they have a dream, crazy, a dream, and they both woke up at the same time, my grandma and grandfather, who are now in heaven, Jeanette and I led them to Christ before they went home. And, uh, and so they have a dream and they wake up and they're like, Patty's in trouble in Chicago or in New York City. So he hops in his car, drives to New York City. Now this is in 1961. There's no technology, right? He literally drives to New York City to find his daughter, parks his car, and within 10 minutes, he's walking down the sidewalk and he runs into the girl, Karen, the friend of my mom's who went to New York with her, right? So here's my mom, good Catholic girl, you know? She's, uh, she, she's in jail and she, she's like, Mary, you gotta help me. She's praying to Mary, right? Could you imagine Mary in heaven? Mary's like, Lord, I did none of that. I don't know why those people are praying to me, right? But anyway, so while she's praying to Mary, you got to get me out of here. 
you got to help me. Well, of course, what does God do? Helps her. Next thing you know, a guard comes up and says, hey, Patty, your dad's here. He's posted bail for you, right? So she gets out of, she gets out of jail, ends up getting all the charges dropped, all this stuff. So now they're driving back to Chicago. This is just kind of my story, right? Now, if I was born in New York City, I would have been an orphan, just been turned over to the state, right? Now, New York has pretty good inner city basketball. That would have been okay, partly. <laughs> but Chicago's better. Illinois is better, right? So anyway, we're coming back. And, and, and then my mom's dad, my grandfather, looks at her and goes, hey, you know, don't worry. I've got a guy. We, could, we can get rid of the baby. You know, because in, in the 1960s, if you were born with no father, you were considered a bastard child and you were looked way down on. My mom looks at, you know, which probably sealed the deal because she's like, I'm not doing anything this guy tells me, right? So she's like, no, I want this baby. So she has me, right? Then when I'm, I mean, she's a hairstylist, hates, just rebellious, single parent, unhappy. And then there's this lady who's coming. She, she's a hairstylist. What does this have to do with righteousness? Everything. Everything. So, so here's this lady. Her name is Edie. Her husband and her, they live in Wilmette, Chicago. It was a very exclusive community in Chicago. I don't know if it still is. And, uh, you know, he's, a, he's just a very wealthy businessman. And here's Edie, a Christian lady, coming to get her hair done by my mom. She would literally come every week. Every week. Well, my daughter's a hairstylist, right? You, you don't need to get your hair done every week. I mean, I, I wish my daughter would do mine because I look a lot better when she does the thing with her, however she does it, when I do it, right? But, but this lady's coming every week and is witnessing to my mom. And my mom, for a whole year, is like, I don't want to have, I don't, don't tell me about Jesus. I don't want anything to do with them. Listen, I went through Catholic, I went through a Catholic elementary and junior high school, and, and, and I've dealt with those nuns. And there's, if, if that's Jesus, I don't want it because he carries a big bat, you know? <laughs> and uh, so she just kept talking about the love of God. Well, what was Edie's life? Her husband, very wealthy businessman, very rough man. He would bring a 20-year-old girl home and he would to look at Edie and go, get out of here. She's spending the night with me tonight. That's what she was living in while she was still witnessing to my mom. My mom, after a year, ends up getting saved, right? So now all of a sudden, I'm two years old, she gets saved. She said when she got saved, it was like something fell off of her. And uh, so to appease her family, you know, we're a good Chicago Catholic family. We'd, we'd go down the street to the Catholic church. She'd, she'd take me. You know, and then we'd go to another church, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And then we'd go to Moody Bible Institute, and, and I would be like, Mom, why is that guy yelling? Why is he mad? What? Well, he's probably some fiery preacher, you know. But anyway, then I'm four and a half years old, and then I give my heart to Christ. And I've made every mistake that I've ever made as a Christian. And I would grow up thinking, gosh. You know, these people that have this incredible testimony, man, I was doing this, I was doing that, then I got saved, and then I just, I lived right, 
And I'd look at them and go, wow, that's cool, because I've been saved my whole life, and I've messed up, right? My story is, I'm so glad God never gave up on me. My favorite word in the Bible is long-suffering. He's so long-suffering, right? Mercy is another real good one. But God never gave up on me. And then as I grew, I started learning about salvation. And I started learning that, wait a minute, Jesus once and for all condemned all of my sin, or God the Father condemned all of my sin once and for all in the body of Jesus on that cross. And the word salvation, it literally, if you look at it in the Eastern mind as it was written, I was saved, I am being saved, and I'll always continue to be saved. So if I have a behavior, a sinful or an unrighteous behavior that I choose, because the power of sin's been broken off my life, but if I choose to just let my flesh lead me and I do something wrong, guess what? My father's like, listen, just come to me. Confess that. Just say, hey, father, I did that. I call it sin. You call it sin. And I also confess. I, I say about it what you say. It was all condemned 2,000 years ago in the body of Jesus. My father says, listen, I'm faithful, and I'm also just. I have a legal right to forgive you for the sin and then cleanse you for all the unrighteousness so now I can maintain fellowship with you always. And I started going, wow, the yoke of the Lord is easy, right? So for me, man, I grew up in church wanting to do the right thing, but I would still mess up, and I... And then I started learning the word of God and I started realizing, wait a minute, this, this thing, this walk with God is not hard, it's a rest. It's where you just walk in his strength. You walk empowered by his spirit. And then I realized that's the way a child of God is. We're children of God. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, Right? We've been born again by the incorruptible word of God. And so now we walk with him and he does all the heavy lifting, right? He wants to bless people. That's the good news. The gospel is actually good news. The very word means news that is so good, it's too good to be true. But I'm here to tell you it is true. Amen? So let's get into this a little bit today. You guys ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 21, get our church app. If you don't have a smartphone, get the CDs. They're really expensive. They're a dollar. Unless you don't have a dollar, then we'll give them to you. So, you know, uh, but the value of that CD that we charge is not the value that you'll get out of it because it'll change your life. But go back and listen to these other five messages because in this, you will find out how much God loves you. You'll find your identity in this. It'll take your faith to a whole new level. You will give yourself a big break and stop beating yourself up, right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 21, it says this. Again, foundational scripture. For he, talking about God the Father, hath, past tense, made him Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. And as we broke those words down, 
we see he made Jesus. It means that word means made to bear. He made Jesus bear our sin. The word sin, again, is the Greek word hamartia. It means an innocent sin sacrifice. Jesus, who knew no sin, God the Father, made him bear all of our sins. Who knew no sin, why? Why did he do that? That we might be made. Different Greek word. This Greek word means to come into being, to come into existence, there's no process in this word. The moment you invite Jesus into your heart and he puts a new spirit in you, you are made righteous. You'll never be more righteous. Now as you get in the word of God and as you walk with him, you'll become more aware of how, how you, what that means. You'll become more aware that you're righteous, but you're never more righteous than you are the day you get born again. That we might be made, what Righteousness the very righteousness of Almighty God. We're made the righteousness of God in Christ. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 is another foundational scripture we've been going over. Romans 5, 19, it says it this way, for if, man, if one man's disobedience, talking about Adam in the Garden of Eden, many were made sinners, it says, so by the obedience of one, Who's the one? Jesus shall many be made righteous. We, we sang it. God gave Fran a spiritual song today. We've been justified by faith. What did I have to do to be made as righteous as God? Just simply believe. I couldn't work for it. I could never be good enough. I, there's nothing I could ever do to, to measure up to the, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. I was simply, I simply believed what he said, and through faith I was made righteous. And as we go into this, guys, we're laying a foundation. We're gonna start talking about all that that means in your life. It means you are victorious. It means Satan has no right to steal, to kill, or to destroy in your life. It means that you always have your Father's ear. The God of the universe is always watching you. He's always ready to perform his word in your life. His answer is always yes to you. You have a special place with him. And I love that. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So now let's go into some, a, a new, another new area of this. Let's go to Isaiah 54. Let's start to talk about some of the benefits of righteousness. Isaiah 54, we're just going to look today at verse, seven, or verse 14. We're just going to look at a couple verses in Isaiah right now. So look at Isaiah 54, 14. It says, in righteousness you shall be established. This word established means to stand upright, and to be fixed and immovable. As you stand in your righteousness, who you are in Christ, what you've been made, Satan, the world system, circumstances, people, nothing can move you. That's what God wants for you. He, does ne he never wants you to be moved from the outside. 
Acts 17, 28 says, though, that it is in him that I live and that I move and that I have my being. I move in him, but nothing from the outside can move me. That's available to every one of us. Why? Because we're so good? No. It's because he's so good. He did that for us. And it was a big price. He had to die on a cross for our sins. In righteousness, you will be established. You'll be fixed and immovable. It says, in righteousness, you shall be far from oppression. Oppression, that, that word means it, it is like a, a power coming down that tries to exercise hard control over you. The Bible says as you stand in your righteousness, you'll be far from oppression. Do you know what Jesus called sickness and disease? Satanic oppression. In righteousness, you have a right to walk free from sickness and disease. Because you find out that when Jesus hung on that cross for your sin, he also bore all of your sickness, all your disease, all your pain. He also bore all the poverty and lack. I mean, it, salvation is huge. In righteousness, you'll be established. You'll be far from oppression. Why? Because you will not fear. We're going to talk a little bit about fear today. Fear is a spirit. For us as Christians, fear is external. It's not internal. It feels internal. Right? But it's, exter it's external. It's a spirit, and you have been given authority over it. You could tell that spirit to leave. It has no right in your body. See, fear opens the door for oppression. God is saying here, in righteousness, you'll be fixed, immovable. I'll make you to stand upright. You'll be far from oppression because you will not fear. And then fear's evil twin, and from terror, for it shall what? Not come near you. That is God's will for your life. So fear, let's, let me give you one real big definition of fear that might seem a little different to you. Fear, you can define fear as sin consciousness. When you live your life conscious of all of your shortcomings and all of your sin, it brings fear into your life. You don't think you're worthy and man, Satan comes in and he lies to you and he steals and he kills and he destroys and it is to have no part in your life. So let we're, one definition of fear, sin consciousness. You have been made free from that. The enemy just, he throws thoughts to try to get you to grab it again. Conscious of your own weakness, that's sin consciousness. Conscious of your own insecurity. Conscious of your own inferiority. Conscious of your own shortcomings. Living your life conscious of your own failures. God made you free from all that. He does not want you to walk in any of that, right? What does it say? It, we, we started in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, but if you go back to verse 17, it says old things are passed away when we get born again. 
And behold, everything becomes new and everything is of God. Wow. A righteousness consciousness will produce this in your lives. It'll produce the image of Jesus in our lives. As you live your life conscious of the fact that I've been made the righteousness of Almighty God in Christ, it will literally create the image of Christ in you. Because God's will for your life, we're going to see it here, but God's will for your life is that you be fashioned, likened to, on the outside, Jesus. Because that's who you are on the inside. You're a child of God. Now, we're not God, but we are his children. Jesus, let's talk about Jesus. Having a righteousness consciousness will create an image of Jesus in you. What is one thing about Jesus? If you look at his life, he had mastery in every area. He was the master of he was the master of everything. He controlled his environment. He was never moved by anything. He moved things. And see, you're, what, where we're going with this is righteousness. This is a mastery thing. He's made you to master every arena of your life. To never be under, to only be over. That's why he says, listen, I've made you the head and not the tail. Above only and not beneath. Don't go into that below and beneath because why, why do we go into that? Why do we accept that? Well, you know, I'm just Tony and I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. Had no idea why I'd give card of my testimony. That's why. It's not about your mistakes. God's mercy so much greater than your disobedience. God's not moved by where you are, right? I mean, we've had people come to church and go, man, you know what? Uh, or, or they'll be talking to somebody. I'm thinking of a guy who used to play drums for us, and he, he was in some bands, and, and one of his band members, you know, they're in bars and playing in bands and stuff, and they all knew he was a Christian. And, and he would invite him to church as the Lord would lead. And the one, guy, the one guy, I think the lead guitar player, looked at this guy and goes, man, you better not go to church. You will burst into flames the minute you walk through those doors. <laughs> That's a lie. That's a lie, 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 right? God, where a person's at doesn't move God at all because God sees what, they, what he's made them. They haven't seen it yet, but he sees what he's made them in Christ. Because Jesus died for everybody's sin. So mastery. Jesus was righteous from the beginning of his life. He was not born in sin like every other human being. Jesus lived his life free from sin. He lived as a righteous man anointed by God. We see Jesus at 12 years of age. He had the spiritual capacity beyond that of the spiritual leaders in Jerusalem. He had a spiritual capacity way beyond them at 12 years old. You know, it's amazing. You ever, you ever read the story about Jesus? You know, Joseph got in trouble, like our, us husbands do once in a while, right? They're, they leave Jerusalem. You know, it's, it's, it's like the next day. Mary's like, hey, where's Jesus? I told you to 
Where, where is he? You could just see Joseph. He gave one of the husband deer in the headlights look, right? Uh, what, what? No, you said, right? No, honey, you said you'd watch Jesus. So could you imagine? They have to go back to Jerusalem. Their 12-year-old son is gone. So Joseph, uh, Joseph and Mary are like, well, the first place we better go look is the temple. They find him. And when they're like, what are you doing here? And Jesus looked at him and said, well, don't you know I'm, I'm to be about my father's business? And we, we think, oh, that's so cool. But it's the next verses that are really good. And then it said that Jesus subjected himself and obeyed them and went back to Nazareth. Think about that. Jesus, who he was, the spiritual capacity that far exceeded the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day, and yet, as a child, he would still submit to his parents. He obeyed them. Interesting, right? Jesus spoke about God as his father. That was, in Israel at the time of Jesus, you were not allowed to say the name of God. We were servants, and God is holy. And all of a sudden, here's this rabbi coming on the scene going, he's my dad. When you've been made righteous, that's the way it is for us. He's not just my God. Oh, I reverence him, I honor him, I respect him, but he's also my dad. Jesus in other words, lived his life, he would come into the presence of his father with no sense of guilt, no sense of inferiority, as if sin never existed in his life. He even said at the tomb of Lazarus when he was praying to him, he goes, Father, I'm just praying this so that they could hear me, but I, I thank you that you always hear me. That is a picture of you and I. When you have needs, listen, your father knew you would have these needs before you ever were even born, and he's already got them all on the table. And as you hear his words, faith is birthed so you can grab everything you need off that table. He is so faithful. Jesus had no sense of weakness, no sense of inferiority, no sense of failure. Right? His father goes, listen, Tell those guys to hop in the boat and go across the sea. I want you to come up here and spend some time with me. Yes, Dad. Jesus goes up on the mountain, prays, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the morning. He just comes to them walking on the water. No sense of failure, no sense of weakness. Well, my father told me to go pray, and then he told me to go walk to the boat. Well, th there's liquid water. Right? This, now, now, you could do that. We could all walk on water right now in, like, Minnesota. Right? But that doesn't count. Right? It's three foot thick with ice. No, it's liquid water doesn't bother Jesus. Right? To be honest with you, who is walking on the water with Jesus? He goes, I only do what I see my father do. So his father said, hey, let's go for a walk. This is fun. You'll, you'll enjoy this, Jesus. Right? No sense of failure, no sense of inferiority. Why am I saying this? Because when you have a righteousness consciousness, when you live your life conscious that you've been made righteous, 
it will create that image in you. Because this is the way we're to live on the earth. The reason why people who don't know God right now are a little confused is because we look too much like the world. And we're not to be Bible thumpers where we walk around thumping people on the head. Has God ever thumped you on the head? No? No, no. We're, we're just like, come. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Come as you are, and he'll make you like he is. Right? I'm one of those examples. And you could look at my life and know that I'm not perfect. I'm not flawless. This is all about adjust and repair. Right? Oh, if people could get this message. Jesus was righteous. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the master of every circumstance he faced. Now, I just described Jesus on the earth, but do you know I just described a Christian? Right? Righteousness, as we get into this, guys, righteousness is a mastery thing. God wants you to master life. Oh, you're going to face giants. You're going to face circumstances. You're going to face things in the natural that seem bigger than you, but they are not bigger than God. And when you walk by faith and you're conscious that you've been made righteous, you will stop comparing what you're facing to you and you'll just compare it, compare it to him. And nothing compares to him, right? So this is good news. So look at what the word says. I'm going to read some scriptures here about what, just a few, there's so many more, about what the word says, how that we have literally been called to walk on this earth like Jesus. John 14, 12. John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is Jesus talking, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I'm going to the Father. We're to do the works of Jesus. We're to love people with the love of God. Right? We have testimonies of people who have come to our church for the first time, and they're like hoping that they will be able to be accepted here. And then they walk through the door, and they, they sense the love of God and the acceptance of God. Why is that? Because, man, we're all a work in progress, and this is a great ride, right? We have one rule in this church, have fun, because God's into having fun, right? First John chapter 2, in verse 6, it says this. First John 2, 6, he that says he abides in him, or in Christ, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. God's will for your life is you to walk as he walked. No fear, no inferiority, no weakness, overcoming everything that the world throws at you. With joy, with peace, not downtrodden. Oh, God is so good. Romans chapter 8, in verse 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, that word foreknow means Whoever he knew beforehand, beforehand what? Before they were even born. Who was that? that? That's every human being that's ever lived. He also did predestinate. This means he predetermined and he preplanned something for everyone. What is that plan? 
to be conformed, that means fashioned like unto the image, the very image, the representation, the resemblance of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn of many believers, many brethren. So then we start to go a little bit more into this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 18 says this, but we all with an open face, with an unveiled face, 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding as in a glass, now the King James says glass, it's the Greek word mirror, beholding as in a glass or in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So that tells me, now, as I look into his word, I look into it, and as I'm looking into his word, how do I do that? By meditating in his word. I take a scripture. Father, I thank you that you always cause me to triumph. You always give me the victory. I thank you that you make me the head and not the tail. As I peer into the word of God by speaking it and meditating in it, he opens the word of God up on the inside of me by his spirit and all of a sudden I start to behold who Jesus is. And as I behold him, what happens? It's like I'm looking in a mirror. Because why? Because I'm in Christ. The Holy Spirit from glory to glory starts changing me into the image. In other words, the word changed is the word transformed. It's the Greek word metamorpho. In other words, as you peer into the word, the Holy Spirit starts pulling on the outside who you've been made on the inside. You've heard me say this when the Lord spoke to me one time and he said, Tony, I am so looking forward to the day when I can introduce you to who you really are. Because you're living your life as you seem. You don't deserve this, and you're worthless, and this, and that, and all, all this nonsense, right? Who do you think you are? Your dad was a mafia soldier in Chicago. He was a killer. Who do you think you are? You're worthless, and he, did, he didn't even want you, right? Oh, no, I've been made righteous. I remember when I read that genealogy in the Bible, I read my genealogy, Save your money, right, with, what, what is that, Ancestry.com? Here's your genealogy if you're a Christian. You are of God, little children. There's a God and then you're his child. As you peer into the word, you're changed because you're his child. God's plan for you is to live like Jesus. If Jesus were in your line of work, do you think he'd be successful? Do you think he would... He would know how to follow God's plan for his life. Yeah, you can too, because he's there. Look at what Ephesians 5, verse 1 says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. I follow God as a dear child. And this word followers, it literally is the Greek word that means an imitator. God wants you to imitate him. That means when you're walking and you're going, you're in a grocery store and God goes, hey, I want you to imitate me. 
I'm here with you right now, and I want you, you're my hands and feet, I want you to go up and bless that person. I want you to buy their groceries. I want you to pray for them. I want you to go up and say this. See, as we peer into the word of God, we start being Jesus to this world. What, am, what are we doing? We're simply imitating. What am I doing right now? I'm imitating my father, right? The goal, the goal is there to be less of me and more of him, right? If there's anything in this message that might seem like there's no power or it's just not real exciting, that's me. Because if it's him, wow, it's life-changing, right? Because we're imitators of him as a dear child. We don't imitate him because we're afraid he's going to slap us. No, 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 he's my dad, right? John chapter 20 in verse 21 says this. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Do you realize that as the Father sent Jesus, right now Jesus is saying, I'm sending you. As the Father worked through me when I was on the earth, do you know Jesus in one chapter said two times, I don't do the works. All these people getting healed, all these miracles, Jesus said, I didn't do any of them, it was my Father. In lesson one of this, when we went through 2 Corinthians 5, we went through verse 17 through verse 21. And what the other side of righteousness is this. You and I have been given the word of reconciliation. God has given us a word that we could tell people, listen, come to God, he took your place. Not only have we been given the word of reconciliation, he has placed you and I in the ministry to go out and tell people, listen, God took your place, come to him. Not only has he given you the word and the ministry, he also said you are his ambassador. So now he's empowered you to speak to people about this. And that's the thing. Free people want other people to be free in the same way that hurt people want to hurt people right? So this is powerful. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 12, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works shall he do, because I go to my Father. Verse 13, and whatsoever, now right after this, he says, and whatsoever you shall ask. Now remember, the word ask in the New Testament is not, oh, please give me. No, it, it, the Greek word means to call for, to require, to make a demand for. Whatever you call for, whatever you require, whatever you mean, make a demand for, in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, in case you didn't get it, in verse 13. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is powerful. But let's keep going. We never read this next scripture. Look at verse 16. Right after this, he starts talking about a powerful thing. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, another 
It's the Greek word allos. It means, I'm going to give you another comforter that's exactly like me, Jesus was saying. Another comforter. This is the Greek word parakletos. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. This is who is in, in the inside of you. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then he's not only inside of you, he's upon you in his power. And everybody needs that. That's not, that's not optional, right? Because this word, it's a masculine noun. The word para, it means pressed into. It describes a position. Para, he's a para. The next part of this word is kaleo. It comes from this word kletos in the Greek. Who cares, pastor? You're right. It means to call to someone. I love this. It mean, well, I, let me say this right. It means to call on someone. He's a parakletos. He's someone that's coming alongside of you to help you. There is a responsibility associated with the call. What are we saying here? The Father has called the Holy Spirit to come alongside you. Think about that. He sent the Holy Spirit, who is God, not only to live on the inside of you, but to come alongside you. Wow. One called alongside to help by taking hold with you. He takes hold with you. The word comforter means he's an advocate. That means he's an attorney. So when, when somebody tries to accuse you, the advocate will say, no, 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 you're forgiven. You're unaccusable. Do you know who accuses you more than anybody else? You saw him this morning. Him or her, right, when you looked in the mirror. Right? Something will rise up on the inside. No, no, no. I've been made the righteousness of Almighty God in Christ. He's your helper. He's called alongside to help you. He's your standby. In other words, he is standing by ready to do whatever needs to be done so that you walk like Jesus. Wow. This word comforter, we don't talk about this a lot. It gives you the picture that he's your best friend. Have you ever been through something, you really messed up, and people left you who were your friends? Do you know you've, nobody in this room has ever had a friend leave you? Because friends don't leave. You just messed up and you just found out who your real friends were. Right? It's like I think of me as a pastor. Do you know there's nothing you could ever do that could even begin to move how I believe in you, how I would be there for you? Including talking bad about me, slapping me in the face, doesn't matter. Because the love of God's been shed abroad in my heart. You slap me and my thing is going, what, what's going on with you? What, what's the enemy doing? Wow, they need me more now than they do when everything's going good, right? It means a personal advisor. How would you like the one who knows everything to be your personal advisor? What should I do here? Guess what? He knows. And he's called to let you know. Hmm. He's your instructor. 
This Greek word means he's your mentor. You know, people have come to me and said, hey, I want you to be my mentor. And I'm like, that's great, but you've got a mentor that is phenomenal. Right? This word also means coach. So in relation to this, now, now you study this word out, this coach it literally describes the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life. What does a coach do? It teaches you how to perfect what you are doing. Right? A coach is there. I mean, these NFL football players, you see, you see this receiver somehow jump, turning in the air, catch a ball with one hand, and, and here's the out-of-bounds line, and they still have enough in them to get both feet. And you think, wow, that was lucky. No. This guy has done that probably thousands of times. Pastor Mark, I can't remember, what was the team that won the NCAA tournament a couple years ago, and it was by a half-court shot? Gonzaga, was it Gonzaga? So everybody's like, wow, they, they had three seconds left, they throw the ball to this guy, he takes two dribbles, half-court shot, banks it, they win the game. Everybody's freaking out. Wow, that's incredible, how lucky. And the coach goes, oh, that wasn't luck. No, no, that was planned. We work on that in practice. We've been working on that all year. We knew if we could just get the ball to him, he makes that almost all the time because he, he practices that shot. The Holy Spirit knows everything you're going to face. He knows what he's called you to. He will literally coach you to be the best whatever you're doing that you could be. Wow. What does Satan talk about? Oh, God's out to get you. Well, in a good way, right? So what's my job with the coach? My job is to literally just work with him. It's to cooperate. My job is not to know everything. My job is to cooperate with the coach. He leads me into all the truth. He leads me into victory. He leads, I don't sit, I'm not going to sit at home and worry about how this thing's going to work out. I just know it's going to work out and I've got the one in me who's going to help me work it out. I don't need to know. Right? Because could you imagine, every even major athlete, as good as they are, they don't see some things that they're doing wrong, right? A golf coach, I mean, Jake, you, you played golf in high school. Were there times when you're like, what the heck is going on? And then your coach is like, hey, you're dropping your elbow, you're doing this, right? You keep winking at Alicia while you're, no, I'm just teasing See, and it says here, I will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Wow. So now we're ready for Isaiah 54. Go back there and let's look at verse 17. Hallelujah. Isaiah 54, 17. Now remember how it started out. In righteousness you will be established. Stand upright, fixed and immovable. In righteousness you'll be far from oppression because you will not fear and from terror it won't come near you. Now jump down to verse 17. Look at this. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. 
Will weapons be formed? Oh yeah, they just won't fire. They won't prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you'll condemn it. It says every tongue for a reason, because there's one tongue that we don't think about. And it's the number one tongue that condemns us. It's ourself. Right? When you have a righteousness consciousness, you will stop condemning yourself. But we don't condemn the person who's speaking it at. We condemn the tongue. Because we know words have power. And so we can condemn. Have you ever said something? Right? You're believing God for something and all of a sudden the pain, you just get tired of and go, you know, I'm just sick of this. Why is this not working? And right when you say that, you, something wells up on the inside of you and went, whoa, whoa, time out. I'll, I'll say, wait, oh, Lord, I condemn what I just said in the name of Jesus. I said that, but I do not believe that. That was just my flesh. And guess what? I can condemn those words and they'll die. They won't affect me. And here's the really cool thing. Because I walk in love, they won't affect the person that spoke them against me. Do you know nobody, nobody will ever at the right white throne judgment stand before God when he is judging you know, all the unrighteous dead who never received him. You know, none, anybody who's ever wronged me, they will not have to give an account. Those sins are not, that they did against me, they won't have to give an account because I, one of the things I always say, I say this every day to the Lord, when I go to prayer, I'm like, Father, <laughs> I need to come to your throne of grace this morning or I'm going to take communion, right? Got this little bowl in my office. A lot of times I take communion in the morning. And uh, <laughs> I'm always like, now listen, I forgive everyone who's ever wronged me because, Father, as you know, nobody's ever wronged me as much as I've wronged you in my past. And you've been so gracious to erase that. And, Father, everyone who's ever wronged me Father, I say what Jesus said on the cross. Don't hold that against them. I curse those words. I curse those actions. I command them to die and not produce any, any effect in the person who did them to me. I don't want them hurt at all. Do you know the freedom you walk in when you do that? If you're having trouble with somebody, start praying that God bless them. Your flesh will hate every minute of it for a while. Yeah, right? Because I'm sure there's some people in here that some people have hurt you. God is the healer. And when he heals, he removes the scar. So all that you have left is just you love them, right? Hallelujah. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Wow, why? I'm so glad you asked because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Now, this was written by Isaiah. We read that under New Testament truth. You're a servant of the Lord as you minister to others, but in your relationship with him, you are a child of God. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and God says this, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. That's why Colossians says, you are unaccusable 
You're unblameable. You've been made worthy. And it took a big price to do it. It took the life of Jesus. See, Adam and Eve were masters of the whole earth as long as they maintained their righteousness. Jesus was the master of all because he was righteous. Jesus was righteous because of his birthright. He was born righteous. He was not born in sin. That's exciting, isn't it? Do you know you are righteous because of your birthright? You've been born again. See, this doesn't, this raises you up to a different level. And guys, the people in your life need to see this. How good God is because this is, this is free. God will restore, deliver, make all things new for everyone who invites him. Right? Everyone. Whosoever will, let him come. It's not according to anything that I've done. So, how do you get out of this wilderness if you're in this wilderness? If you're in this area of confusion, you don't know, you know, Satan's just throwing thoughts and everything. You use your tongue. Your tongue is the way out of your wilderness. You must get in line with who you have been made in Christ. In other words, what am I saying? You have to speak what you have been given a right to. You have a right to be healed. You have a right to prosper and have an overflowing supply in your life. You have a right to have everything that was stolen from you to be returned. That's Proverbs chapter 11, verse 31. You have a right for everything to be made new. You have a right to walk in the favor of God, to walk under the blessings of God. Right? This is way beyond a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, confess it, possess it. No, this is way beyond that. This is who you are. This is who God has made you in Christ. We have to speak what we've been given a right to. You have a right to be healed today. That sickness or disease that's attacking your body has no right. No demonic force has a right to put anything on you. They're defeated. So let's go to 2 Peter. We're kind of coming down the hill here. A few more minutes. 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 4. 2 Peter 1, 4, it says, whereby, in the King James Version, right? Wow, thank God for Elizabeth in English. Yikes, right? Whereby, what that means is through this or by this, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That's what this book, this book is filled with exceeding great and precious promises. For what purpose? That by these, that by these exceeding great and precious promises, what? You might be a partaker of the divine nature. You might partake of God's very nature. What do you mean by these promises? What do you do with them? You believe them in your heart and you speak them out of your mouth. I am. I am victorious. I am triumphant. I am more than a conqueror through Christ. Right? His joy is my strength. 
His peace mounts guard over my heart and mind. I'm not anxious for anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I make my request made known to God. And then the peace of God mounts guard over my heart and mind through Christ. I speak the word of God over these things that I might be a partaker of his divine nature. Why? Because I have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You've already escaped. And, and the Holy Spirit will help you walk in it. Isn't that good news? So you cannot partake of the divine nature until you've escaped the lust of your flesh. That's why Romans chapter 12 says, listen, throw that flesh on the altar. Present your body a living hold. Don't let your flesh pull you in a wrong direction. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The Bible says these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they are not of the Father and they are all passing away. Many are bound, and I'm talking about Christians, are bound and crushed by the circumstances that righteousness has already made them a, mastery over, a master over. Many are crushed by the financial circumstances in their life, but yet who they are, they've already been given mastery over that. Many are being crushed by sickness and disease, but they are righteous and they've been given mastery over that. Why? Because Jesus himself, the Bible says, bore their sickness, carried their pain. God sent his word and healed us. He provided this. Many are being crushed by their past and they've been made free from it and a master over it. You must renew your mind to this. That's why when you come here, you hear the word of God and that equipping starts, but as you meditate in the word, as you go back and listen to this again, you know, I'm telling you, let your car become Bible school, right? Listen to the word, just put it on. If you have a smartphone, man, just download our app. You could listen to me until you're sick of my voice, right? And if you can't sleep at night, everybody says my voice is so soothing. It will help you sleep, right? If you want proof of that, just ask my wife. She listens to all kinds of preachers. She sleeps with earbuds, right? It's hilarious. When she rolls over, she puts this one in. Then she rolls over, she takes that out, she puts the other one in. She listens to the word all night, and if, if she can't fall asleep, then she just puts me on. <laughs> Every once in a while, she wakes up. One time she told me, she goes, man, I woke up. This was so good. I'm like, wow, this guy's really good. And then she realized, wow, that's my husband. <laughs> I'm like, tell me more, hon, tell me more. <laughs> Until you overcome a sin consciousness, you'll never master your own life. And God has given you everything to overcome that. So we must develop a righteous consciousness of who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen.